Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and normally we have a conversation with an expert in the field of identity and data protection, cybersecurity, or privacy. This month, we are again featuring a presentation from a government identity fraud conference hosted by the ITRC and supported by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. The theme of the conference was identification, a combination of identity and innovation, a reflection of how we create, manage, and verify identities that require us to constantly innovate to protect our identities from criminals and other threat actors. In this episode of the Fraudian Slip, we're sharing a conversation with the chief information officers of two states and from two federal agencies. Tracy Barnes is the CIO for Indiana Office of Technology. Rocky Campione is the U.S. Public Sector Lead for Security and Compliance at Amazon Web Services, but he is also the former CIO of the U.S. Department of Energy. Alan Fuller is the CIO for Utah's Department of Technology Services, and Rick Krieger is the Deputy CIO for the U.S. Department of Labor. I moderated the session. You see a raid here, a wide variety of uh, talent and experience, both at the state and the federal level. Um, so we have plenty of time for conversation. We'll skip the bios. You got, you can look them up on the thing. If you guys want to say something about it, about yourselves, feel free to, but I thought we'd just dive right into the conversation and it will save some time at the end, uh, for questions from the audience. Um, so we've been talking about identity fraud. The whole conference is about identity fraud and primarily government benefit and services. So we'll start on that side and work this way. Um, what's your thoughts on how to address the issues that we've talked about this morning and what you're seeing in your own business on a day-to-day basis? Well, I, I think we've touched on a little bit and kind of from what we saw, one of the focuses that I've had in my past is it's that constant monitoring. Uh, we've moved past the point of making sure it's right the first time. That's still good to do, don't get me wrong, but there's a million ways to do it. To, to pass that barrier. And really the focus is more and more on how are we constantly monitoring, and I'll use the term responding, right? And I think that's kind of a major focus for what I'm seeing in the industry and what I've seen in my past. Yeah, so um, I feel like, you know, Gene Sperling mentions Department of Labor. I feel like I'm a little bit on the, in, the, in the target here, especially with the UI system. But, um, you know, certainly upfront identity proofing is, is important. You know, know who you're dealing with upfront. So, um, you know, we are working with logging.gov on a federal level. It's kind of a federal strategy. Uh, working with states like um, the state of Arkansas to pilot things there and expand that out. Um, we recently just launched a partnership with um, the U.S. Postal Service. So for a uh, in-person option. Um, now, logging.gov is offering that as well, but it's after you kind of fail the digital Proofing, then you kind of fail over to in-person. But so we're working with the, um, again, state of Arkansas and some other states to offer that as an upfront option, and we're kind of acting as a proxy in the middle of that. So, so there's that aspect of it. I mean, we have partnerships um, with NASWA, who's represented here, to do uh, to fund cross-matching in the states. Uh, to, you know, you're, you're looking at data across states to try to uh, locate uh, fraud that's occurring and try to stop it or notify. You know, provide signals back to the states, I guess. So um, there's many different strategies from upfront to monitoring to 
just basically ensuring that we're uh, modernizing our information systems and implementing increased uh, cyber protections into them, right? You can't, the cyber protections you built in five years ago aren't good for uh, today and next year. So I'll stop there. I'll uh, kind of piggyback on that and, and start from there. It's, it's uh, the reality that the, um, the systems are maybe great that we put in place today, but there is always room to continue improving those. Um, not getting complacent, not getting um, comfortable and saying that, hey, we, we're live, we're done, let's, let's take a break. We don't have time to take a break. Um, the other big thing that we're trying to do in Indiana is trying to figure out um, how much of the data that we need to have across our 98 agencies. Um, do they all need to copy that data or not, or is there better opportunities to limit the amount of data that we're actually collecting um, and collect it more centrally? Um, uh, minimizing the exposure vectors for folks to, uh, to gain access and such. Um, that's a big piece, a big concern that uh, we've been looking at for a while and trying to understand. You know, everybody thinks that they need to have a full copy of the identity for every citizen in the state and, and still trying to figure out ways where, you know, my, my citizens in Indiana are citizens of the federal government as well and, and a lot of the same participants. And, uh, their programs and services, and similarly with the folks downstream in our local governments and that footprint, um, how much can we start figuring out interoperability and sharing to, to minimize that sprawl of that information, which hopefully uh, minimizes the ability for it to be compromised. Thanks, Tracy. Alan Fuller, State of Utah. So one thought I've had as, we've, as I've been listening to this discussion, these discussions today is there's the these discussions have properly really focused on the individual identity theft, but we're also trying to guard against the more uh, uh, system. A, a lot of times the individual identity theft is used as, an, as a, a vector of attack on our systems for things like ransomware, and there's, of course, various flavors of ransomware or, uh, or uh, theft of, of uh, proprietary information. And so, you know, we see, uh, of course, you're all familiar with the Colonial Pipeline, and we see, it seems like in the press we see a steady stream of companies taken down, and, and uh, government, city, state, uh, universities are, uh, are under heavy attack, and we see, uh, we frequently get called in to help uh, with, with uh, to, to try to deal with Someone, when their files are all locked up, their, their system is down, they can't do anything, and someone's holding for them for ransom. And, and so uh, there, there's also, in addition to the uh, uh, horror show we just saw, which did scare the crud out of me, um, <laughs> we also have this, uh, the, this organizational risk across you know, the 23,000 employees of the state of Utah who, you know, gone to some link they shouldn't have or clicked on some phishing scam they shouldn't have and now become a vector of, a, of attack for a not just a, a theft of their own personal identity, but a, a theft of uh, state resources or a ransomware attack in our system. Um, see the number there, if you have a question, go ahead and text it. You can text it anytime. Um, I want to follow up on a couple of things that were said here. Um, there's, you know, and when we had our pre-call, Tracy, I mean, you, you said that um, you weren't here in the height of the pandemic. You didn't have the job you were in. So you have a little bit different perspective from anybody who kind of worked their way all the way through that. When you walked in, what was it that you saw that really jumped out that needed to be fixed first? Or there are opportunities for improving things? <laughs> 
I don't think we have that much time. <laughs> um, uh, March 16, 2020 was my first day in my position at CAO for State of Indiana, which was literally the night the governor sent everybody home for a, a pandemic closure and such. Um, had been around our state government operation in a number of capacities over the years. The continued um, growth and um, silo of applications and systems, which continues to lead that sprawl of data and systems and access and individual controls and management of security and levels of understanding of security and protection. Um, I, I, I say this very wholeheartedly and I uh, hope my, uh, our health commissioner is not listening right. Our, our Dr. Box, a, a beloved health commissioner in the state of Indiana, did a great job through the pandemic. Um, but at times I had to say, you know what, you're, you're in the medical field and um, how you are managing and maintaining and letting your people manage and maintain those health systems is not in your expertise. Um, here's what we do as, as an IT office and as an IT team and what we're here to support you on. And so, you know, if I'm gonna respect you and where you're at and what you're doing and how your footprint is, they need to understand and respect what we're coming and bringing to the table to say what are some better best practices, um, better lessons learned, better approaches, um, better understanding of the threats that are out there, especially when we're sitting in central IT and looking across and, and we're seeing the volumes of international connections to our unemployment system that absolutely have no need to be connecting to them to apply for unemployment funds. And we're seeing um, rental assistance dollars start flying left and right um, and bots figuring out ways to get in and start getting transactions going on a more repetitive basis. Um, I'm bringing that expertise to you um, in your agency and your footprint. And so how do we look across the entire state and help bring the entire posture up? Instead of, in Indiana, our, our challenge has been, you know, we're, it's the, I uh, use this, this analogy, it's the, the haves and have nots, right? We have a lot of federal, uh, state agencies that have good funding mechanisms from federal partners and such, and we have a whole lot more that, that do not have that federal funding support and capability. And so their systems, their security, their infrastructure, their technologies, their approaches are usually lacking. Um, so how do we look across the state and try and bring that entire uh, platform to a, a better level and posture? Because if they get any piece of our data, they're getting more access and better opportunity to other pieces of that data as well. Rick, you, you talked about a couple of pilot projects um, with the state of Arkansas and others that, that cross state, cross border, cross jurisdiction, even within the same state, that's, that's one of the hallmark issues in government, period. It's, it's been here forever, it'll, it'll always be a challenge. Um, so how or what you're doing now, how do you think that's gonna help address this? Because that was one of the issues with being able to, the bad guys to commit the fraud that they did was, you know, it yeah. was apply anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even from the, the presentation we just had, I mean, we, we have to kind of band together, sort of, right? It's like, you, you can't do this individually. And so, um, it, it is a big challenge. Like, so 53 different, you know, UI systems, you know, 50 states plus three territories running UI systems, and trying to bring all of that together. And they're all, you know, from an IT perspective, they all have different IT systems. Some are very old, some are uh, more on the modern side being able to integrate uh, some of these um, you know, data analytics or data sharing capabilities or uh, modern authentication and identity proofing capabilities is challenging, it's difficult. Um, so yeah, so, so we're trying to act more as a um, central solution provider and proxy, I guess, where we can. 
Some states don't need that help. They, they're able to kind of advance it themselves. Um, other states aren't. They don't have the capacity internal to do that. Well, they don't have the expertise. They don't have the people. So we're trying to step in and provide um, kind of that key capability wherever we can to offload that, you know, that, uh, I guess, burden from them that they're, that they're dealing with out there trying to fight this fraud. So it's very challenging now. Rocky, when we had our, our pre-call, you raised an issue which is, you know, so fundamental to everything we're talking about, and that was when your information is already everywhere, yeah. <laughs> what do you do to protect? It's you can't you can't claw it back, but you can make it less useful. Yeah. No, the it's um, the, the the thing I like. I always get in trouble when I say this, but you know the. The horse has left the barn, and you're trying to close the door. Unfortunately, the horse has left the barn, the barn's burned down, all the fences have burned down, and what do we do? And, and I, we talk about this, or protecting social security numbers. It's all out there. I mean, we spend millions, and we spent millions in the federal government, and we create multiple inefficiencies across all levels of government to protect the number that everybody already has. It's out there, it's easily, it's easy to get. It's less and less useful now. And it's thinking about that, like that, that that's kind of where I was going with this. Is we, we keep trying to fight yesterday's fight. We keep trying to, you know, put the, put the proverbial lock on the door when there are no walls. And, and that's where I get back to going to. So what do we put into place to try to identify when it gets used? The bad guys have so much information that they can't get to it, right? That's, you know, if you look over the last 15, 20 years, the big data problem, um, AI, those are really being driven by uh, more nefarious organizations because they have a business need for it. They have more data on us than they know what to do with. So they're trying to, oh, how do I find, do you use big data to find out what's the most valuable identity to use to do theft? Um, and that's why, I mean, there, there are vendors out there, there are partners that you can have that are data companies or that do data. And it's like, how do you monitor that? How do you identify um, what is anomalous? And to me, that's where we need to spend a lot more time on. I mean, you can't just say, I'll oh, do whatever and, and not do any protect at the front. But it's more of, okay, assume compromise, it's more of a, a cyber term. Assume compromise, assume it's out there. Now, let's try to identify when it's being used in a nefarious way, and then what are our proper responses. And that's, that's kind of more where I get to it. And frankly, more where my frustrations were in the federal government, where it's, we make everything harder because I, I can't do a form, or I can't do this, or I can't share information, because it might have, an, might have an information in it that is already out there, it's already gone. So let's think more about how do we improve the efficiency of government across all levels, how do we make it and, and spend, our, spend our limited resources on, a, on activities that actually are, um, I'd call it beneficial. And it, it's in some ways a little reactive, I admit. Like, oh, someone's doing something, now we're reacting. But, but trying to protect it at the front end, it's just, it's a waste of resources. And I think we need to kind of think about that and and need to move on and kind of to where it is, especially on the IT defense side. Alan, what do you think about that? 
Um, <clears throat> totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Um, I was actually going to tell a little story. Please do. Now a good time for that? No, it's always story time. <laughs> okay. So, I, I, I mean, I could talk a lot about, you know, where we are today with the state of Utah. So I, I do have the, the, cyber, the chief information security officer and the cybersecurity staff is on my, or on, on my team. Um, you know, we're, we're doing all the things that a lot of states are doing, trying to, you know, get multi-factor everywhere, trying to upgrade our security and access management infrastructure. Um, we're trying to do all that stuff, right? So I don't really want to talk about that. Uh, what I really want to talk about is what I feel like we need to go. To introduce that, let me just tell a little story. So let me start with my wife, lovely lady. Um, this is a picture of this, that my wife's at the grocery store. She's getting some groceries. She comes to the checkout stand. And let's say that today, for some reason, she wants to pay by check. Well, my wife doesn't usually pay by check. I don't know anybody that pays by check anymore, but some people might want to pay by check. So she gets out her checkbook. And of course, the people behind her in the line are kind of like, oh, good. They're trying to distract themselves with their phone. They're like, how to get stuck behind the lady with the check? You know? but, but so she so goes right out the check. And what does the clerk at the grocery store say? Can I see some ID? Right? So my wife gets in her purse, pulls out her wallet, and she pulls out what? Her driver's license, right? Now, why is it that a physical credential designed to authorize you to drive on the roads in the state of Utah is your primary form of ID? Well, it just kind of developed that way, but that's what it is. So she hands the clerk her driver's license, which, by the way, has her birth date, her height, her weight, her address, her um, a few other things. And... And so the clerk looks at it, and the clerk was not here for the previous presentation, so she thinks that she can recognize a state of Utah address, uh, sorry, a state of Utah uh, driver's license. So she looks at that physical credential. She probably writes the driver's license number on my wife's check, but because she has that ID, the grocery store is willing to take that uh, paper credential of a check to say, yes, this check will, you know, you can probably pay for your groceries with that. So transaction done. What do we have in that transaction? We have the holder of a credential, my wife, who's holding a, a credential, a state driver's license. We have a verifier of the credential, who in this case is the, the clerk at the grocery store. Also not there at the store that day, but uh, present is an issuer of the credential which is the state of Utah driver's license division, right? So we have this triangle, issuer, holder, verifier. And, and uh, if we think of like, what does it take to take that entire transaction and move it to a digital transaction, right? You still have the role of holder, you have the role of issuer, verifier, holder, the issuer needs to be able to issue a digital credential. The holder needs to be able to hold the digital credential. The verifier needs to be able to verify both the issuer and the holder of the credential, right? So we want to try to, I, I personally feel strongly that what we're doing today in our society, this centralized identity where we have a, a central database with a user ID and a password, it's not cutting it. Guys, it's not cutting it. Right? It's not good. We got we to do something better and different. And I think, I believe, I believe that we need to move to a decentralized identity. And to do that, I think we have to have the whole
holder, the verifier, the issuer, and we need to have underneath that a verified data registry. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that technology would be, probably something like blockchain. And so you wouldn't store the credential on the blockchain, but you'd have a cryptographic code that uh, can be verified that yes, this is the code for the issuer, a cryptographic code saying yes, this is the code for the holder who has a, a credential. So you have this trust triangle of the issuer, the holder, and the verifier can verify against a, uh, a, a verified data registry and underneath that, there has to be a trust framework that establishes that data registry. So I am working to try to move this idea forward. We worked with our, uh, it's not my idea, but uh, I think uh, there's a lot of merit in the idea. I worked with uh, members of our state legislature um, in a, a recent session and we passed a bill. We, got it, we were able to get a bill passed. Uh, you can go out and check it out, House Bill 470, uh, Utah legislative session, and um, the bill is very simple. The bill has some definitions. What is a blockchain? What is a, fair, what is a digital credential, et cetera, et cetera. The bill uh, establishes a working group, which I'll be the chairman of, and we've got everybody in there, the auditor's office, the privacy officer, our state archive, a state records officer, et cetera. So we're gonna try to go figure out how to do this, and then it also, importantly, gives us the ability to do a pilot project and uh, they put some little bit of funding behind a pilot. Now, we're not gonna do a pilot on a primary credential like a driver's license, and we're certainly not gonna do something politically hot like an election card or a, you know, an immunization record or something like that. I wanna do something like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking like, um, well, uh, something not birth certificates or driver's <laughs> license. Uh, we're thinking food handler permit at the county level to start with, something less uh, thing. And then I just wanna mention, we have a county in the state of Utah that's already issued 40,000 digital marriage licenses using a, a methodology like this. So I believe that verified digital credentials are coming. I wanna get out in front of it. I want to do it right so that it's secure, protects privacy, to make it as strong as we can to, against attack. And hopefully this becomes another weapon in our ongoing fight against the, the threats that we face. So that was kind of a long story, I'll stop. Well, it sets up nicely a question that was actually asked by somebody in the audience was, you know, once again, we'll have a little bit of a patchwork for a period of time during a any kind of transition of the technology. So we'll have some states with a digital identity, we'll have some states who don't have it and they'll have to have interoperability. But we'll also have federal issues. And one of the questions, you know, um, Rick, for you was, why don't we just mandate that all states use the same centralized UI system <laughs> and other kind of things? And I, I, I'm, I'm, like I dare you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm not the policy person. I'm just the IT guy, okay? Right. Well, I'll jump in. It's called the federal the federal system. Yeah. <laughs> That's hot for you. <laughs> you gotta watch that. So, I mean, you, you look at it, it's a little nuts, right? You have these 53 systems that do pretty much the same thing. There's different state laws that govern them, different, you know, slightly different rules. Um, theoretically, you could build, you know, a flexible system that could incorporate different business rules into how you, you, you intake and process and execute claims, but have kind of a common platform. But that's, um, that's just not how the system has operated since its inception, really, right? It's been a distributed system uh, run by the states, 
Um, you know, we see lots of opportunities for centralization, like we're doing with the um, identity proofing. We heard a lot of states say that we need some help here. Um, you think of things like uh, potentially claim intake, some sort of central claim intake, and you have the identity proofing or uh, certain parts in, in that. That's something that we've looked at. But it's just, um, I think at the federal level, I'll just say it, we're not positioned you know, right now to take on that sort of operational responsibility. And uh, I guess Gene's not listening anymore, yeah. is he? <laughs> so, um, because the Department of Labor's generally been a, um, it's kind of an oversight entity, right? Oversight and policy entity. Stepping into that sort of operational responsibility is a big step. Yeah. And, we're, and it needs to, needs to have the right thought and planning put into it if we're gonna do something like that. That's why we're sticking our toes in on the identity, at least the initial upfront identity proofing uh, front to try to provide some support there. But um, I'll just say, you know, I applaud the states for everything they've done during this pandemic. It was a huge challenge. Um, the system's been underfunded for years. So, you know, the IT systems, the modernization of it, the staffing, you know, that's there to support that sort of scale. Um, it was monumental, you know, they, they took it on and did as good a job as could, could have possibly been done. So I'll just applaud them for that. Tracy, what about in Indiana? What, what are you guys looking at from a, a digital identity? Um, we are evaluating um, digital driver's licenses and starting to uh, kind of map down that path. We did have legislation that came in that said we, we should and will have digital driver's licenses in place, I think about 2025. So our Bureau of Motor Vehicles are um, slowly evaluating what that looks like and how that operates, kind of to Alan's point, right? I'd love to do that for maybe our fishing licenses first and not our driver's licenses, something that's a little less, less impactful um, and less... technology uh, uh, capabilities um, that everybody else has. And we, and we see that in some of the pilots we're running where um, some of it is trust in government. Like, you, you see a huge drop-off when people get, get to the stage of entering their social security number into login.gov as start of identity. It's like you see a drop-off, right? So let's say they get past that, they've trusted it, they put it in. Um, further downstream, login.gov had a, a, um, a check where it's gonna validate the phone number. Is this phone number associated with this person? Okay, well, now you're starting to get into areas where not everybody has had a phone number with a long history you know, because of their economic situation, right? So, so we've been looking at some of the, um, you know, working with Arkansas, we've been able to correlate some of the uh, demographic information they have from the UI system to um, how, how uh, successful or not successful people have been in getting through things like login.gov and digital ID proofing. And, you know, there's concerns there, without a doubt, but um, it takes more data to understand you know, what, what is the real barrier there that we need to, to try to get, a, uh, get through. But data correlation's huge. But there's still kind of a technology. Technology has moved far, but it's not fully there. If you talk about login.gov and you look at a recent IG report, they... <laughs> we won't mention that. Yeah, we're not gonna mention that. No, but I think it's important to mention because we, if you're doing identity proofing, you have to have the technology that works, right? Um, in that particular IG report, they went down a different path. But the, the bottom line, you talk about uh, was it liveness. I think that's what it was uh, on kind of, hey, I'm gonna take a picture and it's live. The technology 
was giving a lot of false positives for a lot of false negatives. Um, and it just didn't work. So when you talk about proofing, you have to have the technology that, that works and that works, nothing's 100%, but that works 90, in the high 90s. Um, and, and so there are some places where it still needs to get better, um, but it is mostly there. I'll just add one one quick thing, and that's I mean that's as much as the technology. I mean that's what we do and we live and 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 breathe on a daily basis. It 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 doesn't take away that human evaluation, that human capability and interaction and opportunity um, to salvage a relationship with a citizen that may or may not be getting able to get validated properly, um, or getting logged in and having issues, or have had their data uh, compromised in a situation. So it's it's a lot of processes. There's still a lot of the, the relationship that has to stay there and the realization that, like I said earlier, government is, I mean, we have to be there for all the people. Um, for those folks that are very well capable and very well educated and um, very well connected, and for those that have zero desire to be in that space but unfortunately have a, a need for access to something that we're providing or we're making available as a, um, as a service offering. And so that's... That's what I try not to lose sight of, and um, and working with our, our folks and our you know our governor reaches out and says, hey, can we can we digitize this? Can we turn this on? Can we can we make this? I just heard that another state's doing that or or something, and it's you know absolutely we could go down that path, but let's make sure that that we don't see that this is this is not the solution. This is not the answer for whatever whatever problem that that has been brought forward. Let's make sure we're addressing this holistically, um, and uh, and truly serving our citizens. Love that comment. Um, last question kind of prompted by one from the audience. Um, government, this is not being pejorative, but you know, just technology moves faster than government can. It's just, it's, it's the way that things are structured, particularly when you have to wait for policies to be developed and implemented so you can then actualize uh, what those are. By the time you've done that, the technology's moved. That's just that's been true since you know the wheel was invented. You know, the the ability of, of our minds to move faster than what we can actually incorporate in society is is, is just it's human nature. So after the lecture, the question is this: the bad guys innovate all the time. Are we being within the confines we have? Are we being innovative enough? Well, can I address something real quick? Um, I do take a little issue with technology moves faster than government. I, I came from the Department of Energy where we actually create the technology <laughs> that's at the forefront of most of everything we do. So, fair, fair enough. So the government actually, this is my public service announcement, the only one not in public service today up here, but this is my public service <laughs> announcement. The government moves technology faster than almost anybody else in the world. They may not be able to like deploy it as fast, but but when you talk about moving the needle, when you talk about um, quantum, when you talk about everything else, that's happening in government. That's not happening outside. But to your point, um, I think there is innovation occurring. The problem you have, and I'll go back to something I said earlier, is the bad guys have a better incentive, right? They're trying to steal your money. They're, I mean, it, there's a financial incentive for them to kind of innovate when we talk about uh, big data, we talk about AI, to, to take these concepts that may have been created in government 
and actually apply them because, because of their financial incentive. So I, I think there's, you know, A, I'll do the public service announcement. B, I'll say there is innovation occurring. It's the application of the innovation that sometimes is, um, uh, that sometimes lags within the general government. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. Sorry, I, had I, have to, a cute, I get passionate I have a few quick about thoughts. that one. A few quick thoughts for you. So, so first of all, hey, LexisNexis. How about a verified digital credential? How about a private credential? Maybe the private sector could help take on some of that, uh, that responsibility better than the government could in some cases. Um, the other thing I want to say is with, you know, we, we see technology moving so fast. And of course, it was already mentioned about chat GPT and generative AI. I, I, think gen, I think generative AI is going to be enormously transformative for our society, both for good and for bad. I think it has a lot of very positive uses, but it's sort of like the internet. There's also a lot of really bad uses, and it's already have, we already have technology where they can generate an image. So if you can have a, a generative AI generating an image well enough that it can fake a license, you know, uh, you're, you've already, you're already down a, a pretty bad path with that technology, and that's there today. So I, I hope that, uh, I hope, we, we as a state, we're not, a Silicon Valley software shop that's going to be able to invest in really cutting edge research to move forward, uh, you know, new technologies. What we hope is that our vendor partners are doing that and that our partners can help us to, to, to solve these problems and to stay up in the arms race for, for identity. I was just ditto. That's exactly what I was gonna say is, is I'm not in R&D. I mean, that's not, that's not the space that we're in. Um, it's trying to figure out how do we move the chess pieces around appropriately to get the funding we need to get the solutions in place and bring the right vendors to the table to make that stuff happen and take advantage of those innovations, those needs, those improvements that, that make life better. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll just maybe close by saying that, um, you know, government can be its own worst enemy sometimes, right? So we're playing by rules that are, that are that the ones we're combating aren't playing by. We just saw all the collaboration and information <laughs> sharing yeah. that's going on on the dark web of, of you know, uh, trying to share social security numbers between IRS and DOL would be like a, a death knell, you know? It's like it's never gonna happen. So, so we're playing by these rules that uh, others aren't and something has to change there to put us on equal footing or else we're always gonna be uh, kind of disadvantaged. So it's not really, adopting and using the latest technology. Um, we have no problems there. It's, it's really in collaboration and information sharing. It's, it's a huge barrier. Thanks to our panelists for sharing their insights, and thanks to Woody Talcove and LexisNexis Risk Solutions for their support to bring focus to the impacts of identity fraud on victims. If you want to learn more about the crimes and compromises that impact your identity, privacy, or security, visit our website at idtheftcenter.org. Join us next week for our sister podcast, The Weekly Breach Breakdown, and we'll be back next month with another episode of The Fraudian Slip. Thanks for listening.